Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there. Welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome Mandy Pacheco to the podcast. Crossing paths with Mandy was a stroke of luck, thanks to our mutual friend, Michelle. Once we connected, I knew I had to have her on the podcast. Mandy's years of experience in higher education, as well as her role as a flex schooling parent, provide her with the perfect blend of insight and expertise from both perspectives. During our conversation, we discuss the importance of experiential learning and why consent in education is critical to the success of our kids. Mandy provides valuable suggestions for parents whose kids aren't in love with learning. And you won't want to miss Mandy's advice for parents of incoming college students. I continue to learn so much from Mandy every time I speak with her. And I really hope you will learn from her too. Now let's get started. Hi, Mandy. Thanks so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. Thank you for having me. So for my audience who won't know this, Mandy and I cross paths via a friend because my friend Michelle and Mandy both circulate in a flex learning world, which I have to say I'm envious of that world right now um, and have been for years. But um, but I'm so glad our paths cross because we are so on the same page about so many things and you have so much great experience and wisdom to share that I'm just I'm just thrilled that you're here. So before we start all the good questions and everything, would you just take a minute and introduce yourself to my audience? Sure, absolutely. Hi everyone. Um, I am Mandy Pacheco. So I'll give you a little bit about my my professional background. Um, I've been working primarily in the higher education space for about the last 20 years or so. Um, Balanced my time between teaching and career development initiatives. And so I actually started my career at a tiny little private liberal arts college. Um, that was a neat experience because we, there were only two of us in the office. And with that, it meant that we got to create the initiatives for the students that they needed the most. And the thing that I saw was the need to get out of the classroom. Um, our students were, you know, very highly motivated academically, but they just didn't have a lot of experience. And as a result, the employers were, you know, they. They, they liked what they saw, kind of, but there were other students that were, I guess, a little bit more competitive. And so we ended up starting an internship program there. And that was hugely beneficial uh, for the students because not only did they get the experience, but it also allowed the employers to kind of try before they buy, so to speak, right? And so we ended up seeing our rates of uh, of placement skyrocket as a result of that program. And so that was really neat to see. It, that's amazing. Why doesn't every school do that? 
Right. Well, and the cool thing is actually most schools do have some kind of an internship program, co-op program, something like that. But a lot of students don't take advantage. I know I didn't when I was in school. I, I had no idea that, you know, career services was really a thing we should use or why it was important. Um, and I really wish I did because, you know, I, I know I've shared with you in the past, one of the scariest days of my life was college graduation because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and so that just kind of launched me into this world of working with students to help them find that experience. Um, from there, I ended up becoming a recruiter to kind of get a taste of the other side. Um, I wanted to see what that was like, and it was super valuable experience. I'm glad I did it, but I missed working with my students. And so I ended up coming back in a different way, and I actually worked um, as a coordinator of an apprenticeship program for Siemens Corporation. And so again, I was kind of balancing that, that line. Um, and then that program ended, close, ended up closing down, and I came over to UCF, and I spent about 10 years in their experiential learning department. Um, and that was really neat because, again, I got to work with the students, um, helping them find their internships, co-ops, that sort of thing. Also, the employers helping them to develop programs um, that would be both beneficial to the students and to them. Um, I was able to, to lobby for payment of students in these internship and, and co-op programs. Um, and so we, we found some, uh, some good success there. And uh, yeah, it was really neat. I ended up finishing my doctorate during that time. And I did my dissertation on the benefits of experiential learning and how it impacts graduation rates. Um, and as it turns out, it, it really does. The students who end up getting internships and co-ops graduate at much higher rates than students that don't. Um, and in particular, for students at risk. And so it was a really neat experience. Um, and through all of that, um, I always taught on the side. And so from there, I, I actually had my own children. I started homeschooling them. And so I wanted a little bit more of a flexible schedule. And so I moved into kind of more full-time teaching. Um, and so that's what I'm doing now is I, I teach for the interdisciplinary studies department at UCF, um, which is kind of a neat a neat place because it's for students who are interested in combining different areas of study um, to go out and do really interesting things. And so through all of that, you know, my, my, my lectures are always, I shouldn't even call them lectures. They're really more of discussions. My discussions are always involving the importance of experience and helping students get out there um, and, and really just, you know, not staying stuck inside the four walls of academia. What a journey and what I, I'm envious of all these really cool roles that you've had and what you've done with them and, and the impact that you've had on so many students. And I love this interdisciplinary studies program because, gosh, if I had a nickel for every young person who came to me and said, I don't know what I want to major in. I like this and this and this. And, and it sounds like this would give them the opportunity to kind of explore a little more, which I think Look, exploration is not happening in high schools as far as I've seen. I mean, there's a little bit, but not much. But um, And what a win-win. I mean, you're setting up students, or you were, in apprenticeships, internships, so they could try it out, and also for the employer to try them out. So it, it, everybody wins. What Such great work. Thank so, you. I don't even know where to start. I have so many <laughs> questions, but... Well, let's talk about, let's start with consent in education because you and I had a conversation recently and I, I wrote that down in big letters on my whiteboard because I've not heard that term or that phrase used before and it really just kind of set off a light bulb for me. So 
how do you define consent in education and where do you think it's breaking down? Absolutely. Sure. So I heard the term not too long ago um, in some self-directed education homeschool spaces, actually. And the idea behind consent is that, you know, nobody likes to be talked at. We all like to choose what we're going to be engaging in. And I think one of the challenges with the typical traditional education system right now is that the students are told what to learn when to learn it, how to learn it, and they really don't get much choice at all in the matter. And so, and I've seen so many students after a while of that really, you know, when they were young, they were curious and engaged and excited about things. And they just kind of check out after a while because their interests really aren't taken into account. Um, and even when they're learning a subject that could potentially be interested, interesting to them, you know, maybe it's a, it's a biology course or something like that, it might be done in a way that doesn't work for them. Uh, maybe it's, you know, too much lecture, not enough hands-on, you know, it just doesn't work for their particular learning style or their brain. And so I think this idea of consent in education involves invol- involving the student, the, the person where we're, you know, we're really all trying to, to serve anyway. Um, in this process and making sure that they are on board with what it is they're going to be learning and how. I literally just had this conversation with my husband yesterday because one of my kids does not like school. Mm-hmm. He's never really liked school. Um, public school, you know, we've always been a public school family, at least till now. Um, and you know, we've, he's tried different electives and, and some he's liked, you know, more than others, but generally speaking, he just doesn't like school. And I was talking to him and saying, well, what about if we worked on a more flexible learning plan for you? Like, what if you did some more dual enrollment and less in the school? And what if we did some at home? And he was like, it's still learning and I'm still not going to enjoy it. And this is a kid who honestly, when he was four or five years old, I could not stop him from asking me questions. Why is the sky blue? What does that bird look like? You know, it was one thing after he was such a curious and just a sponge for information and loved it. Like it still does takes things apart. Talk about experiential learning. Mm -hmm. So, and I was saying that to my husband yesterday and he said, well, nobody loves school. And I'm like, that's not true. Like some kids love, I don't want to say school, but some kids love learning because to your point, they're learning in a way when they want to learn what, how, where. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and look, I, I'm not, I'm not even beginning to think that I can reform public school education. So we won't even go there. That's a whole other episode, but what can parents do to help engage their kids, whether they're younger kids, middle school, high school, whatever, or even, you know, young adults, to relight that that spark for learning? Absolutely. It's a great question. Um, the answer is I don't fully know. Um, <laughs> I, I know that most people, I, I would even venture to say, I don't usually use alls or nevers, but I would say all people like to learn. But we like to learn on our terms, right? All of us these days, we can learn almost anything. YouTube, I want to learn how to play the guitar. I'm going to pop up a, you know, a guitar 101 video. And kids, even kids who do not like school, quote unquote, they do this, 
right? You know, I have, I have a daughter who's real interested in graphic design. She's like, I think I'm going to learn Photoshop this time. She's not super interested in a lot of the academic kinds of things all the time. Um, but this is something that's sparking her. And so as parents, I think the best thing is to encourage that. Um, I remember a conversation that really became pivotal um, for my daughter in particular, um, who's 15 now. She's an artist and she's also dyslexic. And I remember we had a conversation one time when she was young. She was maybe eight or nine years old. And she asked me, mommy, is art just as important as math? And I paused for a second because, of course, you know, as a you know, I want her to do well in math and all this stuff. And thank God, I said yes. But it it, it took me because I wanted to make sure that she still did her math, of course. Um, but I said yes. And the more I thought about that, I realized just yes, absolutely, it absolutely is just as valuable, just as important. And I think that was really pivotal for her. Had I said no. That could have really launched her in a very different direction um, and one that wouldn't have been true to who she is as a person. And I think as all parents, you know, we all want to honor our, our kids' individuality, their uniqueness, their gifts. We all know that they're gifted in different ways. Um, and I think just by encouraging them, even with the things that we're not totally you know, there yet, you know, so many, so many kids want to be YouTubers and all of this kind of stuff, but there's valuable skills to be learned in those kinds of endeavors. And so even if they're telling us, yes, I'm going to be a professional YouTuber and that's all I want to do when I'm 30, well, things could change, but maybe they'd be really interested in learning about sound, you know, sound sorts of things and the video and all of those aspects that go along with it that might launch them into something related to that or, um, uh, you just never know. Yeah, that's a really good point. I My older son is getting ready to start college next year and he wants to, he wants to pursue video game development. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all those years <laughs> behind the computer playing the video games, but it's more than that for him, right? It's not just the playing. He wants to develop them. He wants to do the coding. He wants to create the storyline. To your point, there's so many things about it that are more than just sitting there with a controller playing a game. And, and that's kind of a, an extreme example, but but you're right. I mean, no matter what they're doing, and you you're doing an amazing job of of allowing your kids to self-direct their learning. And I don't want to say you have the luxury of that, but you have the ability to do that because you homeschool. Um but a lot of parents don't have the capacity to do that, the time to do that, or, or some don't have the interest, but they still want opportunities for their kids to self-direct. Any thoughts on that or suggestions? Sure, absolutely. And you're right. We have an amazing opportunity in our family to be able to, to do this kind of full time. But for even students who are at school, I think, you know, if the parents are able um, there are a lot of outside organizations that do pretty much anything kids want to learn. You know, the uh, Florida Film Academy, for instance, you know, my kids take classes there where they're doing film editing and makeup and all of these kinds of things. Um, there's there, there's dance and gymnastics and all of kind of those those typical things that you hear about. But I think all of those experiences are so valuable to helping our kids figure out who they are and who they want to be. Um, and so 
if the means are there, that's definitely something. Ask your kids, if you could do anything, what would you want to try? Um, and honestly, even if the means aren't there, most programs have scholarship opportunities and, and ways that parents can help their kids get involved in things that are outside, um, you know, again, the four walls of academia. And so I, I think the biggest, really the biggest thing is just asking your kids, kind of putting that out there. Um, and at first, they probably will say, I don't know, possibly because they've never been asked before. Um, and so it's a matter of kind of just listening a lot and continuing that conversation as things evolve. And we'll be right back after a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think a lot of kids feel very locked into their schedule, their after school, their academics. So they don't feel like they have that time to explore this other stuff. And I agree with you. I think this is as if not more important than the AP class and, and everything else that's going on because all the AP classes in the world are not going to help you figure out who you are, what you enjoy, what you're good at if it's not a class you're interested in. And I hear that all the time too. It's like, well, I'm, I'm going to take AP US history. Why? Well, I need another AP class. Well, do you like history? Oh gosh, no, I hate history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, with the, with the Bright Futures here in Florida, anyway, the Bright Futures Scholarship is one of these things where it encourages students to do volunteer hours, right? And so I think that's an opportunity right there. There's so many different ways of volunteering um, that just using that to explore an interest area. You know, I know students who are volunteering at the Science Center and with animal rescues and, you know, in all of these different ways. Um, my students in college, the ones I worry about the most are the ones who have not had any of those experiences growing up. Um, I have, I've had literal linebackers, kids on the football team, shouldn't say kids, men on the football team, um, in my office crying because they had no idea what they wanted to do after graduation. And they were so scared. Um, because they, they just weren't sure they hadn't had the experiences outside of one particular area. Um, I've had other students whose, whose families were very focused on academics and they, and they did it with best intentions, but they wouldn't allow their kids to get a job. And they said, you know, no, I want you to focus on school. Don't do anything that's going to take your attention away from school. Well, again, these are the kids who graduate really having no idea of their their skills, their interests, their values, um, you know, how all of this relates. And of course, they, they really don't know much about the working world either. So it becomes very difficult, you know, when graduation looms and people say, well, what do you want to do afterward? And they're going, I have no idea. Yeah. I talk about that a lot on the podcast with other guests. It's a lot of kids choose college, which is fine. 
not going in, not knowing what the end goal is, right? They pick a major or they go in undeclared and then they get to, to your point toward graduation. They're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. And I think a, to your point, a good part of that is they've really not looked outside of that very narrow path that they've taken, whether it be academic or sports or whatever. And yeah, I'm a big, big proponent of kids working in high school. I don't care if it's flipping burgers or, you know, shelving books at the library, whatever it is, there's so, you know, this, there's so many benefits to it. Let me ask you about college students that come to you and say, what's next? What am I going to do? How, I know it would take a lot longer than the length of this podcast, but what are some of the tips or strategies that you use to help them figure out where they're going? Sure. So if a student is in college, the almost every college has a career services office. So that's honestly where I would have them start. Typically what in career services, what they will do with the student is have them do a self-assessment, a series of self-assessments where they're looking at four attributes typically. It's the interests, the skills, the values, and the personality type. And that kind of sets the basis, the background for kind of who that student is at that moment, of course, right? It's always a snapshot in time. Um, From there, you know, you kind of align that with some careers that may fit those attributes, right? So then what? Now you have a list of maybe 10 possibilities careers, right? From there, it's a matter of getting out there and starting to learn about the careers. Well, the best way to learn about a career is to talk to somebody in it. And sometimes talk to a couple of people in it, right? Because, you know, say somebody's interested in becoming a teacher, being a public school teacher may look very different than being a private school teacher, right? And so talk to people out there, do what's called an informational interview. Um, you can Google that and, you know, find lists of questions and how to how to request one and all of these kinds of things out there. So you can do informational interviews. Once you kind of narrow it down to just a couple of options that, you know, I think I might go like to go, to go into video game design, or maybe I'd like to go into coding, right? At that point, the student is probably ready to actually get a little bit more experience and get an internship. Um, and so they spend a semester, sometimes two, in that role, actually doing the thing that they're thinking they might like to do. And if you do this early enough in the process, maybe you start this sophomore year, you have plenty of time to get lots of internships before you graduate. Try lots and lots of different things um, until you kind of stumble on the thing that makes them excited to get up in the morning. And, you know, we all we all know it when we find it. And the cool thing is, is that we don't have to limit our students to saying, I'm going to do this one thing for the rest of our lives. Um, I know you and I had talked about that a little bit, too. Um, you know, this idea of what am I going to be when, I'm, when I grow up as though it's just one thing, I think is, um, it, it's, it's an antiquated notion. Um and I think it's damaging and it's it's overly scary, really, for the students because who can decide at 20 what life is going to look like when they're 50? I mean, even us, like who would have thought that, you know, when I was growing up, I never thought that I would have a computer in my pocket all the time, that I would have, you know, GPS on my phone, that I would be doing this with a podcast kind of a thing. This all didn't even exist when we were growing up. Um, and, you know, I'm young enough that I still have 20 more years left in my career. So who knows what's to come? you know? Yeah. Yeah. All so true. And yeah, I've changed careers a couple of times, well, jobs at least, and found my favorite one now a couple of years ago. And I'm 
well into midlife. So yes, I yes, always say that yes. to kids. I'm like, don't, don't figure out forever. Just figure out what's next. Absolutely. Because that's, the journey will take you and then you'll end up somewhere that else. That is the key. But I think the, really the key to all of that though, it's, it's good to have that mindset. But if the students just have the mindset and don't actually take the leap and try it, it doesn't work. Right. right so right. I think sometimes this, this fear of failure, this fear of not getting it right the first time, this fear of disliking it, whatever it is, um, that's something that sometimes we just have to jump and just try something. And mm -hmm. if it's not right, that's okay. You spend a couple of months doing it and you move on to the next thing. Um, the beauty of being young is that's, that's okay on a resume. You know, you get to our age and we don't really want to have, you know, experiences that only last a couple of months. But when you're 16, 17, um, 19, 21, it's, it's okay to do that. Such great advice. So let's talk more about helping young people sort of identify careers, because that's a lot of what you and I connected on, right? So when I say young people, I mean, before they get to college. And really, I'm hearing from a lot of high school seniors right now. In fact, I have no idea what major to pick. And there's a lot of people in the camp that say, let them go undeclared and they'll figure it out when they get there. That makes me nervous because I feel like that's an expensive experiment. I read somewhere recently that kids will change kids, college students will change their major at least three times. Um, and that's okay. Right. But what, what's your thought on undeclared versus having something when you go in? So I'm on the fence on that one. Um, college, I, I have not heard the three times that, that may be true now. I, I don't know. Um, at least once, for sure. Co most college students end up changing their majors. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think the first two years of college, the, the idea really is for that exploration to happen. Often in college, you're exposed to ideas, disciplines, things that you just haven't been exposed to before. Anthropology is one example of that. You know, I never took an anthropology class in high school, right? It wasn't offered. But then you get to college and you're like, oh, there's this whole thing. That's really cool. I want to know more about that, you know? Um, and so I don't think it's a bad thing that they're necessarily changing their major, provided that there is, uh, there's, there's an end goal, you know, in terms of college graduation timeline and that kind of thing. Um, more important than a student's major, so much more important is the experience that they get. Um, a student can be any major, almost any major, and get almost any job. There are exceptions to that, a few of them, engineering, nursing, there's some things like that. But in general, by and large, you can roll into a marketing, a finance, a nonprofit, a, an event planning position. You can, you can get any of those sorts of positions provided you have the experience behind you, regardless of the major that you chose. And so I think choosing your major often has to do with sort of your interests and that kind of thing, what you know about yourself there. But then again, that's where the exploration in terms of the experience comes in. Um, so again, I'm on the fence. I, I, I'm okay with students not quite knowing before they go, because I think at 18, who of us really does know? Um, but having, you know, at least having a little bit of an idea, you know, I really like people versus things, you know, right, <laughs> those right. sorts of things um, I think can be helpful. That's what I've been saying. You don't have to narrow in on a job, right? I, I want to be a chemical engineer and I want to do X, but I really like engineering. I like the processes around it. I like the way things work, whatever it might be, maybe just to end up in that, air, that area of study 
to introduce you to the different aspects of it. But you're right. I mean, I know plenty of people who started as math majors and came out as English majors or, you know, started in coding, hated it and went in to do like human resources. You won't know what you won't know until you get there. And we all know that you change so much between 20 and 30 in so many ways, personally and otherwise. So yeah, I, I've been struggling that too with that too, because I just I just keep watching the level of student debt in our society climb and climb and climb. And I keep hearing from parents that their kid is still in college five, six years in. I'm just wondering if there's any kind of magic formula that we can help people save some money and save some time. Um, but I'm not really sure what that answer is. Absolutely. I think the idea of starting early in the process to kind of figure this stuff out is probably the key there. Um, if a student goes to career services, for instance, ninth, you know, in, in their freshman year, just to do some of those baseline assessments and kind of find out where they are and they start that process intentionally, I think that can really serve to, to cut down on the number of years and then the amount of debt that that families get into. Um, I, I agree with you completely. I, th- I think the amount of debt that, that students come out with, especially when they don't end up graduating, um, it is super scary. And it's not something that, that I wish on anybody. I, you know, I tell my own kids, I don't want you taking out loans. Right. Yeah. Agreed. I say the same thing to my kids. You have to figure out a way to get there and we'll help as much as we can, but figure out a, get, a way to get there without debt if possible. Absolutely. So any final words of advice or insights to share with parents who might be kind of throwing their hands up with their teen or young adult because they don't know how to help them? I think just general parenting advice in terms of listen to your kids. You know, if a kid is telling you, I love writing and I want to be an English major and the parent is saying, oh, English majors don't make any money. You can't get a job let them be an English major. Because that's the other thing that I see students crying in my office about is that my parents won't let me be the major that I want to be. They are forcing me to be a business major, an engineering major, and I hate it, right? right. And so at that point, it's what are you setting your kid up to do for the next, you know, however long? Um, you know, every every major out there, every path out there, even outside of higher education, there are career opportunities available um, and, and they're valid. And I, I think just listening to your kid and they, you know, they're, they're super into hands-on stuff, tinkering and all of that kind of stuff. Look at the traits that it's amazing. You know, the electricians and the plumbers and all of those sorts of things. Um, it doesn't have to be a four-year degree. It doesn't have to be a certain way, but it does have to be based around your particular child. Perfect finish to this conversation. I could talk to you all afternoon. Same. You're a lot of fun to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So where can people find and follow you if they're interested in reaching out to you? That's such a good question. I'm I'm terrible with... Social media and everything else. Um, they're certainly welcome to find me on LinkedIn. I'm there. Um, and uh, Mandy Pacheco, I should, I should be available there. Um, I have uh, an email address. You can, <laughs> it's mandypacheco at gmail.com. Um, if you have any questions, I'm happy to, I'm happy to chat with, with people individually. Um, 
yeah. And I, you know, I look forward to just continuing this journey with, with all of the students out there. It's, you know, I am blessed to be in a position where I get to work with students in this way and families in this way. And I know you are too. I'm, I'm so excited for you with your new endeavor and it's, yeah, it's a it's, lot of fun. It is. It's, I wish I would have found it you know, 20 years ago, but yeah, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't gone through that, right? 100%. And you have a lot more wisdom to offer as a result. So it's, so true. it's, it's very, very good. It's about the journey. All right. So yes. I'm going to put links to your LinkedIn and your email address in the show notes. Okay. And so people can find you and thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Betsy. This has been a lot of fun. Mandy is such a great resource because she has experienced from multiple perspectives, both as an educator and a career specialist, as well as a flex schooling parent. Until I met Mandy, I'd never heard the term consent in education. And while I've always been a proponent of experiential hands-on learning, I'm feeling more strongly that we as parents need to hold our school systems accountable to customize education paths in order to better meet the needs of our kids. As I've said before, it's a big ship to turn, but who better than parents to advocate for our kids? Flex learning is an option for some, but not for everyone. So if you feel that your kids aren't excited about what they're learning in school, and if they aren't getting the customization that they need, please consider contacting your local school board and sharing your concerns. It won't happen overnight, but I really believe that over time, we can affect change. Thanks so much for tuning in today. As always, I'm grateful that you're listening, and I'd really appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster World podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback, and I'd love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Be sure to check out the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 97, where I will include all links mentioned during this episode. And if you know of a teenager who's unsure of their next step after high school, a college student rethinking their future career path, or a young person who just needs some guidance while evaluating their career choices, I can help. You can learn more about me and the coaching I offer at BetsyJewelCoaching.com. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.